This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Hello again, everyone. This is Chip Brogdon coming to you with another edition of our weekly webcast. I'm streaming online at www.theschoolofchrist.org. And this week we continue with our series of messages from the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 27 this week, so if you would please grab your Bible and join us there in Acts 27. We'll get started there in just one moment. But first, let's go to the Lord and ask Him to bless this time that we have together in the study of His Word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to study and to read the Scripture and see what Jesus is saying to the churches. So, Lord, open our eyes and our hearts, open our minds, Lord, that we would have spiritual wisdom and revelation and discernment into the truth of your word. I thank you for all who are listening, Lord, and I thank you for this powerful book of Acts. Lord, encourage and strengthen and edify us as we go through this uh, history of the church that Jesus is building, and we thank you, Lord, for causing this study to bear fruit all over the world as we get our eyes back onto the Lord, back onto the Lord's purpose. So we thank you and we praise you for these things. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. So in Acts chapter 27, we are reaching... Now, uh, very close to the end of our study in the book of Acts, it's hard to believe because we've been in the book of Acts for so long that uh, we are almost to the end of this study. But to me, one of the most uh, exciting and adventurous stories in the Bible is about to be related here in the book of Acts. So we begin uh, Acts 27 with Paul's journey to Rome by ship. Of course, he's been in prison for the last two years, and he has appealed to Caesar. And so he is beginning now to see some fulfillment to what the Lord had told him. As you have testified for me here in Jerusalem, so you must also testify for me in Rome. And so now at last you're beginning to see some of that come to pass. But he still has quite a way to get from Caesarea all the way to Rome. I was trying to find out what distance that is if we trace Paul's journey by ship from uh, from the place where they launched there in Palestine and followed that, followed that route all the way through the Mediterranean and then up to Italy and into Rome. And I traced that route with Google Earth and using that tool, I came up to close to 2,000 miles that this journey is going to be. And uh, that is quite a journey. That, that's a, a large journey even by today's standards. But certainly going by ship at, in the first century A.D., that was, uh, that was quite a journey. Farther than Paul had ever traveled. And the thing to understand about traveling by ship is often it's not that much faster traveling by ship. It's not not like today where you get on an airplane or you get on a boat and you get there much quicker than it would be if you were walking. When you're on a, on a sailing ship, often that ship goes no faster than you would be walking, and sometimes it's slower. Uh, of course, sometimes it's faster depending on the wind, but it, it's so difficult to, to sail 
in in that water and with the wind and the changing weather conditions that uh, it's very possible that you could walk there faster than you could sail there. But uh, this was really the only way to transfer large numbers of men and equipment and supplies. And so they are putting him on a ship to go to Rome. Well, verse 1, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustine Regiment. Now, a couple of things I, I want to bring out here first. Uh, Luke is the one who is writing this narrative of of the history of the church here in the book of Acts. And you, you have noticed in times past in the book of Acts that it slips over into we did such and such. And that's a clue to you that Luke, the one who is writing the book of Acts, is actually a part of the story. So here we see, although it's not specifically mentioned, you can gather because it says that we should we would sail to Italy, that Luke has at this point joined his friend Paul, and they, along with some others, are going to make this journey to Rome along with him. The other thing I want to bring out is we are going to encounter many names here, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to pronounce these names correctly. And uh, so follow along in your translation. I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce some of these names and some of these places, uh, but let's don't get caught up in that. Uh, let's just continue on with the story. I just want to give you uh, a, a warning about that. I don't claim to be able to speak Greek, and some of these names are literally Greek to me. So uh, with that having said that, we go to verse 2. So entering... A ship, and here's one of these words, of Adrimidium, okay, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. Now, Aristarchus is another disciple, a fellow worker together with Paul, and you, you have heard of him or you have read of him elsewhere. So he is also on this journey. In verse 3, in the next day, we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Remember, Julius is the centurion who is in charge of Paul. In verse 4, when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now, verse 9, and you know we pass over these verses so quickly when we when we read them but by this time they've already come uh several hundred miles and it it a lot of time has passed so uh don't don't think this is just kind of a casual trip because we can so quickly read over these verses uh this was a a trip of very long duration of many Miles and much time has gone by. So verse 9, Now when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, and to give you some perspective of that, it's getting towards the winter, 
And so Paul advised them, verse 10, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, verse 11, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. So again, to set the stage for you, the, the journey, the movement of the ship has been very slow, and... Uh, they're trying to find a place that they can settle down for the winter, wait for the bad weather of winter and the cold of winter to pass before they proceed on for the next half of their journey to Rome. But they're trying to find a place that they can winter in because the harbor they are in now is not suitable. Well, that's where their mistake comes from. Verse 13, When the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not, not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. So here is a, a hurricane or some kind of a storm comes upon the ship Right after they set out trying to, all they want to do is just move a little way up the coast into a different harbor that would be better for a better shelter for them in the winter. And uh, so as they go out, now they're hit with, with this gale force wind, this hurricane, this kind of like a cyclone type of a, of a storm. So uh, verse 16, running under the shelter of an island called Claudia, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the Syrtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. Uh, again, you've got a lot of nautical terms in here, and I don't claim to be a sailor, but the, the idea is that they were afraid the wind would actually blow them all the way to Africa, which would make it much more difficult for them to get back to where they wanted to go. So they have basically brought the sail down and just let the ship be tossed wherever the wind takes it uh, without, without uh, the, the hope is that they won't be driven and blown too far off course to the extent that they are shipwrecked on the coast of Africa. And I encourage you folks, most of these Bibles... Uh, that we have, they have maps in the back, and you can you can trace the route of Paul's journey here. It's either going to be in in your Bible, it will be listed as Paul's fourth journey or Paul's fourth missionary journey or Paul's journey to Rome or something like that, and you can trace the route here. Now, the route between Crete and the place where they eventually ended up uh, is is uncertain, but you can see to the south of this path is the coast of Africa and so they're trying to avoid that and uh, nevertheless they're at the mercy of the storm at this point and so verse 18 because we were exceedingly tempest tossed the next day they lightened the ship and on the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us all hope that we would be saved was finally given up 
And I, I can't help but think that there is some kind of a prophetic symbol here in this journey, in this ship, a place where you, you totally give up, all hope is gone, and you reach a place of, of spiritual and emotional bankruptcy. And it's right in the midst of that, verse 21, after long abstinence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, <laughs> you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Now, if they weren't so depressed and so beaten down, this might have been the time where they would have picked Paul up and thrown him overboard. Because uh, <laughs> nobody wants to hear someone else come along and say, Well, you should have listened to me. I told you this was going to happen. But uh, that's what Paul did. Thankfully, that's not all Paul said. So let's keep reading verse 22. Now I urge you to take heart. So he's going to bring some encouragement here. You should have listened to me, but now listen to me and be encouraged. I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, this is just absolutely fantastic to me. It's absolutely encouraging. I hope that you can insert yourself into the situation here and appreciate the significance of it. Now, again, they're in the middle of a storm. The ship is being tossed to and fro. It's been totally dark with no sun or stars. In other words, they're completely and totally lost. They have no way to navigate, no way to steer, even if they could navigate. And they're not eating. They're probably in a state where they're scared to death. And Paul says, take heart. An angel of God stood by me last night and said not to be afraid because you must be brought before Caesar. Now, let's go back to the, the chapter before that where um, Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And then commentators look at that and said, see, Paul made a mistake. If he, only, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, he could have gotten out of prison. Well, who's to say that getting out of prison was God's will for Paul? Because I, I'm persuaded God has a purpose and a will and a plan. And just because it doesn't make sense to us doesn't mean that it's not of the Lord and that it isn't part of His purpose that we go through temptations and trials and difficulties and circumstances just like this. And so it says, The angel that appeared to or stood next to Paul said that you must be brought before Caesar. So obviously this is God's purpose. Now, if if Paul must be brought before Caesar, then uh, I would I would expect and I would hope maybe that the journey would be easy. Okay, I'm in God's will. God wants me to appear before Caesar. Okay, well, give me a first class ticket. Have someone meet me at the airport in a limousine and drive me to Caesar's palace. And yeah, I'll be glad to, to share the gospel with him. And that's how we tend to think God's will manifests itself in our life. And so if we have difficulty, if we, have, uh, if we experience uh, darkness and confusion, if we, if we are the least bit concerned, we think, well, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I'm not in God's will. No, maybe you're right exactly where you need to be. 
and you're just in the same kind of situation Paul was in. He must appear before Caesar, but look at all of the circumstances and all of the of the of the trials and the tribulations that he had to endure in order to get from point A to point B. I think we've we've been operating for so long under the impression that if I'm in God's will, everything's going to go smoothly. No, if you're in God's will, everything is going to be difficult at times. It's going to be very sometimes very confusing, sometimes very discouraging. Why? Well, because you've got an adversary who is working against God's purpose. You have other people in the world who are doing their own building their own kingdom, going about their own will. They don't have a concept of God's purpose and God's will. And so you see all of these things coming against Paul and coming against God's purpose as represented in Paul. Nevertheless, God says you've got to to get before Caesar. And so, yes, you're going to experience some difficulties. Yes, even this ship that you're on is going to be wrecked. You're going to be shipwrecked somewhere. But don't be afraid. Don't worry. I am operating in your midst. I am protecting you. I am providing for you. But you're you're going to have to settle in your heart that it's going to be a difficult journey. And don't be under the delusion that it's going to be easy, it's going to be smooth, and if I've called you and you're in my will, everything is just going to be a bed of roses, because that's not the case at all. It's not substantiated by Scripture. So he tells them that uh, they should be encouraged, and here's the other thing that I really want you to look at. It says that not only has God ordained that you be brought before Caesar, but God has granted you all those who sail with you. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? I just think that's amazing that God has given to Paul all the people in the ship. Now, Paul's a prisoner. <laughs> he, he's a nobody. He's, he's lower on a lower level of status than the sailors are. And yet, God says, I'm giving you all the people on this ship. And uh, how, how might you apply that to your life? If, if you are faithful, and if you will do God's will, and if you will, will have hope in God, and trust that He is leading your steps and, and ordering your steps, your steps, He will grant you the lives and the souls of all those who are with you, be it on your job, in your home, in your neighborhood. I don't know how that might play out in, in your situation, but in this case... God says, I have given you everyone that's on this ship, and they are, un- they are under his, his protection, under his care. And for the time being, this is Paul's ministry. They're on that ship to be an encouragement, to be a light to those sailors, to those prisoners, to those soldiers. And <laughs> that's certainly a far cry from his ministry in Antioch, isn't it? I think we have the idea that ministry only takes place in the context of the church, only takes place in the context of fellowship. Ministry only happens in the confines of the Bible study or in the worship service or in the prayer meeting. But we see here that Paul has a ministry very specifically 
to the people that are in that ship. And he is, for all intents and purposes, their pastor. They're on that ship. They might not know it. They might not recognize it. But he is a pastor, being a pastor to them. God has given them, given to Paul, these people. And what does that mean? Well, it means that he is responsible for them insofar as their spiritual life is concerned. You don't see him taking up an offering. (laughs) You don't see him preaching sermons. You see him going about the ministry of encouragement, and he is building a testimony, and uh, eventually that, that ministry is going to be fruitful, and they're going to see, you know what? Paul was right. And by acknowledging Paul is right, you're not just lifting up Paul, you're lifting up the God whom Paul represents, and that's the whole purpose of a testimony. So... Let's continue on in verse 27. Now, when the fourteenth night had come, see, they've been two weeks as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea. <laughs> so two weeks now, I, I don't know what kind of storm this is, but this was one monster of a storm that would drive them up and down the, the ocean for two weeks. Well, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. Verse 28, they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. When they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. So, uh, the, in other words, they see that they are getting closer to land because the water is getting more shallow. Verse 29, then, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. See, they don't want to run into the rocks at night, so they drop the anchors, and now they're going to sit there and wait for daylight. And remember, there's still the wind's still blowing, and the waves are still pounding against them. So, uh, verse 30, as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to to the centurion, and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Now, again, the sailors understanding better than most what's about to happen, and so they're trying to get off the ship, get into a, a little lifeboat, if you will, and and take their chances that way. But uh, if they leave the ship and there's nothing but soldiers and prisoners left, then everyone's going to die. And so, verse 32, the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. And that was the end of that. So, verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. See, it, it's, it, it, this ministry is not some, some big, huge thing that only happens in the context of believers. Now, certainly you have believers here, but you can conduct your ministry of encouragement anywhere you are in the world. And that is what it means to share the good news. The good news is supposed to be encouraging to people. But most of the time, the way we go about it, it comes across as bad news, not good news. Well, that ought to change. 
And we ought to follow the example here of Paul. He is encouraging them in practical things. He says, go ahead and eat because you need your strength. And don't worry, God is going to see to it that nothing happens to you. And then he began to eat. So they were all encouraged and they took food themselves. And you think, you know... uh, Where's the altar call? It's not that kind of a ministry. It's a ministry of planting seeds. It's a ministry of of encouragement. And and quite frankly, it's going to take a demonstration of what Paul has said before people are really going to see that testimony and believe anyway. So meanwhile, he is encouraging them, he is strengthening them, and he is sharing with them that God is indeed in the midst of them. So he's giving thanks to God for this food, and they all eat, and there's 276 persons on board this ship. So, verse 38, when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. Verse 39, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed the bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. Since they don't have a boat now, they cut the boat off the night before, And it would be impractical to try to get everyone off the ship in a boat anyway. So they're trying to run the entire ship onto shore. Which sounds like a good plan, but verse 40, They let go the anchors, left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But, striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. So what's happened is they've hit upon a sandbar. And the the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the balance of the waves. Again, I'm not a sailor, but if you can imagine, the ship is trying to make for land. It's still out to sea, but it hits a shallow sandbar. The front end of the ship gets stuck, and the back end of the ship is getting hammered by the waves. Now, what's going to happen is that ship's going to be torn all to pieces like that. So, verse 42, the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was (laughs) that they all escaped safely to land. Praise the Lord. Now you see here the fulfillment of what Paul had been telling them all along. Be encouraged that God is with me and he has given me all of your lives also. And he has told me I'm going to get to Rome. And as long as you stay on this ship, you are under the protection, under the covering of the Most High God. And friends, that is an encouragement. And in a way, in some small way, I believe, we can provide that kind of encouragement and that kind of covering to the people that we are encountering in our everyday lives. I'm not just talking about people in church, people, other Christian brothers and sisters. You see here that Paul is able to to conduct himself in a way that is a good testimony and a good witness to Jesus Christ regardless of the people that are around him he is able to be an encouragement he is able to point people to the Lord whether they are disciples of Jesus whether they are fellow workers and companions in him in the ministry of the gospel or whether they are centurion Roman soldiers whether they are fellow prisoners whether they are sailors 
And regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstance that he finds himself in, he is able to to relate to people, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to point them to Christ. And as a result, God is able to trust him, and he is able to use him. And so it was that everyone on board, 276 people, somehow... And obviously, everyone couldn't swim. <laughs> the ones who could were supposed to make a swim for it. The rest of them were supposed to grab boards or wreckage or whatever they could find and somehow get to shore. And it doesn't sound like the best plan in the world. It kind of sounds like, you know, every man for yourself. But, nevertheless, it says everyone escaped safely to land. And so, praise God, what a powerful testimony that is. And how exciting this is probably one of the most exciting chapters in the Bible as far as action and adventure. It just doesn't get any better than this. And now they're shipwrecked. So now they are they have found they they will find themselves shipwrecked on an island. And as it turns out, they're actually not that far off of where they want to be. They're certainly farther south than they intended, but at least they didn't land on the coast of Africa, which would have really been a disaster. So now they are uh, here on the island of Malta, and we'll learn more about that as we get into the last chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 28. So we'll leave off there for the time being, and we'll resume with Acts chapter 28 next time. This is Chip Rogden, streaming online at www.theschoolofchrist.org. Thank you so much for listening. We'll pick up again with Acts chapter 28 next week. God bless you.